You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 292nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 948th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of May 25th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Is there any question what this week's banner moment is? This week's banner moment occurred on Wednesday when Indiana announced the return of Calvert Chaney to the men's basketball staff as the director of player development. Yes, Calvert, who has his own compelling player development story of going from relatively unheralded recruit to national player of the year and who remains the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer 30 years after breaking Glenn Rice's record with a young Jared Morris in the stands at Assembly Hall. He has spent the last three years as an assistant coach for the Indiana Pacers with a focus on player development. Prior to that, Calvert worked at IU under Tom Crean from 2011 through 2013. He was the director of basketball operations and also handled some player development duties as well. You will recall those teams went 56 and 16 across two seasons, won a Big Ten title, and spent many weeks ranked number one, making it the best two-year stretch Indiana has had since... Well, since Calvert's final two years in Bloomington, actually, which is the last time prior to the 12-13 seasons that Indiana had two consecutive seasons with single-digit losses. Yeah, take a deep breath and let that disturbing little factoid sink in. But we are not here to dwell on all of the mediocre basketball that IU has played since Calvert graduated. He is back, so let's focus on the bright side. The last time Indiana was ready to take a major step forward as a program— Calvert arrived to help push the program forward, and as Indiana enters year three of the Mike Woodson era with its most talented and athletic roster since the 2016 and 2013 Big Ten championship teams, here Calvert arrives again in hopes of helping to push the program forward. And despite all he achieved during his time at IU, Calvert, like his new head coach, still has unfinished business. He is renowned as the greatest Hoosier ever to never hang a banner. The undisputed next greatest Hoosier to never hang a banner, Mike Woodson. Add in Jordan Holes and the three former players on Indiana's current staff, all of whom reached number one in the AP poll at one time in their careers, can claim 5,992 points, four Big Ten titles, 15 NCAA tournament wins, two Big Ten MVPs, a National Player of the Year award, and long lucrative professional careers, but no banners. So for all of the athletic authority that Woody, Calbert, and Jordy bring to the halls of assembly, Everyone in Indiana's locker room is striving to do what neither they nor anyone else at IU has done since Keith Smart shot, and that is hang banner number six. And while no one has ever credited the director of player development as being the difference between winning a title and not winning a title, you won't find one Indiana basketball fan anywhere who doesn't feel more confident in the direction of the program with Calbert and his no-nonsense, player-focused, winning mentality now aboard. Plus, for a program that is clearly trying to brand itself on the recruiting trail as one that can help talented players get to the NBA, 
it can only help having a former lottery pick who made 30 plus million as a player and who worked in the league as a coach recently on the staff. So welcome home, Calvert. I speak for everyone who followed those early 90s teams closely when I say that hanging banner number six will absolutely mean more with you back as part of the program. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Andy and Coach are actually both off, um, but here with me, he is a senior writer for The Big Lead, the world's most underpaid shot doctor, and a man whose San Diego Padres have fallen five games under 500 and eight games behind the Dodgers, all while the resurgent Chicago White Sox are now only five and a half games back in their division. I mean, who needs Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado anyway? Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the answers. Well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. All right, Ryan, it's Calvert Week. You're not allowed to rant, so what would you like to speak about today? Uh, first of all, the Padres are now four games under 500. Have won three of four. The comeback's on, baby. The okay. comeback is on. <laughs> uh, and who needs Fernando Tatis? The Padres need Manny Machado. He's injured right now. We <laughs> desperately need him. Uh, pretty much uh, my rant is I don't know why I'm on this show. It's it's Calvert Chaney Week. Jared could have done this by himself. He could have talked for three hours just by himself. I don't know why I was asked to be here. I think I should be taking the week off, too. In fact, I'm out of here, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> Basically, I'm going to be right, back around like, folks. Thank you. I'm going to be back around like, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, for sure. That's me this week, guys. Just expect it. All right, let me ask you this, though, for real. What is your favorite Calvert Chaney memory? Do you have like a specific memory of him or just okay. generally? Uh, I don't have specific memories. I did watch him break the record, uh, the you know the, the scoring record. I think that was a nationally televised game, or at least I was watching it somehow. Um, he was on the team that beat Shaq, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. LSU that's, in watched, 92. I watched that entire game. And and I did watch that live, and I I, I knew he was on that team, but I, I wanted to make sure before I sat and give a soliloquy on it. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember being super. Everyone was super excited about Shaq and and nationally. And I always liked Indiana. Whenever they'd be on, I you know I could watch them. I watched a bunch of Indiana Kentucky games over the years and everything. Um, I liked Kentucky shorts, but I wasn't a Kentucky fan. That you know they had the big like scratch shorts. I don't know. Every kid I knew loved those. Um, but I uh, I really liked Indiana, and and everybody was super excited about Shaq. People were talking about him in my elementary school just because he was so unique and different. I loved Shaq, but watching that game, I actually rooted for Indiana because I loved the way they played. And Calbert, of course, played great in that game. And you know they were billing it as kind of those two guys against each other. And so um, I I very vividly remember sitting in my living room watching that game and and just loving the way Calvert played and that you know I I was Indiana seated above them that in that game it felt like they were the underdog based on everybody taught the way everyone was talking about Shaq yeah and but they won and and played very well and actually when we did you know in the COVID year where we didn't have the tournament we did that game as a rewatch and I was yeah. on it and it was one of the games I'd actually seen before that we did it was really funny that I got picked for that one I was like ah, I've done this one before um, so I that is my most distinct Calvert memory being from Southern California and not being able to watch him all the time like you guys or go to games or anything like that I do remember that game I remember that was a big national game with a lot of buzz behind it and they uh, and they won and he you know of course was was the star 
And Bob Knight and Dale Brown, I mean, such good friends, you know. So yeah, no, no yeah, I love there. Didn't Shaq yeah, go like fourteen for fifteen from the line that game? Yeah, it something, yeah, something ridiculous. It was, yeah, I mean, it was one of those games where, like that. I think that game, even at a loss, basically solidified everybody thinking. I mean, they, they, he was supposed to be the number one pick already. I do remember a conversation from the rewatch. The one thing that was new, and you know, you get reminded of things that you know in a game because I was, you know, twelve when that happened or eleven. Um, I do remember, uh, I, th- I think it was Wood- Walton was doing the game, and maybe it was Walton, I don't remember, but whoever the color guy was, they asked him, should he return to school? And they're like, yes, yes, he'll get better. It'll be like, there's nothing, you know, uh, there's nothing more valuable than an extra year of school. And I'm thinking the kid was 290 pounds at like 7'3 back then. All you can do is get injured. Like Dude, there's he's no a sure thing of a prospect outside yeah. of LeBron. I even think Shaq was a more sure thing of a prospect than Wembenyama, personally. Yeah, maybe, and especially with the way the game was played then. Yeah, you know, now he wouldn't be. I don't think just because well, he can't shoot free throws. He can't shoot anything beyond five feet. Yeah, but if I Shaq mean, came up now, he'd probably be a totally different player. I mean, absolutely. I mean, anyway. he actually could dribble in the open floor. And you remember the thing about him when he was young. I know this is the Calvert Show when we're talking about Shaq, but the thing about. Shaq, when he was younger, was how insanely athletic he was. I think a lot of people remember the old years where he had been hurt and he was kind of like 340 pounds, 330 pounds, still dominant, but like kind of watch the Orlando film, man. He would (laughs) run the floor like a gazelle. And, you know, I mean, it was it honestly, he was a lot like the way LeBron played when he came in. People at LeBron's size didn't play the way LeBron did. I mean, Magic Johnson was the only guy who ran the floor like LeBron did at 6'9", at 6'8", or whatever. And um, so he was a unicorn when he came out. And I think like, I mean, you watch Blue Chips and I know it's a it's a movie, but the way he played in that just completely dominant, the 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 vertical he had, all that yeah. that was all real. I mean, that was all absolutely real. He was a superhero when he came in the league. And you're right. I think that you know, it's when when people saw Zion for the first time, the player he reminded me of was Shaquille. I mean, he's shorter. He's not as big, but the way he played, just bullying guys and out, yeah. or, like just pushing them around, and then the the athleticism. That's who he reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, more on this coming up here. Uh, we're going to talk through some more. Who's your headlines in segment one? In segment two, is Mike Woodson stuck in the nineties? We're going to talk about that. Uh, and then we've got a bunch of good mailbag questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Home field apparel, for the team. Yes, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere with beloved logos, like two different versions of the bison uh, even controversial logos like the Oval. They've pretty much got it all. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line with Home Field is they have something for everybody. If you are a college sports fan, or even if you just like cool, interesting designs on t shirts or hoodies or crew necks, Home Field has you covered. And all of their designs are printed on the most comfortable material. The material lasts through many washings, the colors last, it's high quality stuff. 
And what's also great about Home Field Apparel is you're supporting a great company that employs a bunch of people in Indianapolis, that treats their employees right, that came up through the Kelly School of Business. Just everything about Home Field, the way they do business, the idea behind their business, it's awesome. And we've loved supporting them since even before they were Home Field, back when they were Hoosier Proud is when our relationship with them started. Uh, It's one that we're really proud of. And so we highly encourage you to go to homefieldapparel.com. Use that promo code HOME, H-O-M-E. Uh, you know, make sure you've got enough t-shirts for the summer. It's coming. Check out Indiana because they've, you know, added a bunch of new uh, stuff, you know, in the past, you know, three, four months. But then they're also refreshing with their other schools. And so if you've got someone else on your list that you're shopping for, go to homefieldapparel.com. You will find something for everybody there. It's promo code home for 15% off. Again, the website homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay. Um, let's see here. I have a few Ryan. details on that game real quick. Let me just update one thing for the Calvert angle since we talked a lot about Shaq. So in that game, Indiana was the two seed. LSU was the seven. And that's why I asked because the, I remember yeah. them talking like LSU's going to win. They, they can't stop Shaq. Uh, 36 points and 12 rebounds for Shaq. 12 of 12 with the free throw line. But Calvert had 30 and went nine of nine from the free throw line. Didn't Nover have a good game too? Rebounds. Nover had 13. Yeah. Yeah. Six of 11 from the field. Two rebounds. Um, and Henderson had 19 and six yep. boards. Um, so they basically what Shaq, Shaq finish with 36 and 12, 36 with Shaq okay. and 12 yeah. of 12 from the free throw line. Yeah. So, but never came for one moved yep. on and would have won the national title were it not for some unfortunate officiating against Duke. Boy, there's a lot of schools that can say that in the final four, can't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin to yeah, this day, definitely I don't love Wisconsin. Wisconsin, but Wisconsin to this day, uh, they should celebrate every year on that day like they won the national title because, quite frankly, they should have. Man, you know, it's one of the reasons why the whole argument, you know, the whole conversation around the Big Ten's never won a national title. Like, I get it. Like, there's some merit there just about the Big sure. Ten hasn't been bringing Great as plays. much talent and all that stuff. But I think people forget just how close that Wisconsin team was. And they were probably the best team that year. They um, were. We'll and they had arguably the best player in the country performance wise as uh, for Frank Kaminsky and that second half of that game, go back and watch that. I mean, I sat, I was in the upper deck at, at Lucas oil for that actually in attendance. Yes. I had to sit in attendance and watch Duke win a national title. That was the one Kentucky came in undefeated. So I was either going to have to watch Kentucky Duke or Wisconsin, (laughs) or maybe Michigan state, but Michigan state was the lowest ranked team there. And I knew they were going to lose. God. I one of them was Michigan State, happen. definitely the lesser of four evils. The there, lesser of four like. evils for sure. <laughs> uh, so I and I yeah, thanks mom for for winning that ticket lottery and making us go and watch Duke fans. So we were sitting in the upper deck with Duke fans, and I at one point was like, "This is absurd!" Like really, like you know me, I don't shut up about the officials, and I was just yes. like, "This is absurd." And two Duke fans turned around, and I thought they were going to go off and be like. You're right. Yeah. This is insane. And and they know that's part of the formula. I they mean, do. Okay. They, you know, and I will say, I um I think online I don't like a lot of Duke fans. In person, they were all kind of just got it. They were all kind of like, yeah, that's yeah, crap. And I had been texted at halftime. I had a bunch of friends who were covering that because it was in Indy. Yeah. And a bunch of friends, and one of them texted me, he's like, Wisconsin is not going to get a single call in the second half. And I was like, why? Just because he's like, No, because I just saw Mike Shashevsky screaming at the officials uh before mm-hmm. he came out for the second half. He's like, they're not going to get a call. And I told, and I turned and you can ask my dad this when you, when you see him at the next meetup, I turned to him immediately and said, this is what my friend just said. He's like, oh no. And 
the whole second half, we just kept looking at each other every single time there was a clear foul and and no, didn't get a call. Yeah. Sorry. That's the one time I can say, sorry, Wisconsin, you deserve better. Yeah. When they I'm not did. talking about the state, the school, I love the right. state, but the school. Um. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, Calvert getting the job. And obviously, look, it's a, you know, for all of us who grew up with those teams, you know, I mean, Calvert Cheney is the favorite player of so many Indiana fans. Yeah. And so it's just uh, everyone. It, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really special from that regard. Like, just even if you know Calvert hadn't done anything in basketball for the last twenty five years, and he's coming back, it would be exciting. But you know, I think there's there's a lot of reasons, Ryan, why I think this is a really really good move for Indiana, and you know, kind of an inspired move based on what the clear plan is for this program. Like, it it is really becoming clear that you know Indiana is trying to brand itself as a place where you know either you know, young five-star recruits or transfers can come get the most out of their ability from a coach who has been in the NBA and knows how to help them get there and be a launching pad for professional goals. As long as while you're here, you're focused on putting Indiana first. Yeah. And that's why a guy like Jalen Huchifino, who's here, gives Indiana everything he's got, you know, delivers one of the more memorable wins over Purdue in, you know, the life of that rivalry, does so many other things. And now he's, you know, going on to the pros and that is, you know, kind of the template that Indiana wants, whether a guy's going to be here for a year, two years, transfer in, whatever. And so you look at a guy like Calbert Chaney coming in, who now adds to, hey, here's another guy. He was just coaching in the NBA. You know, there's all those videos. You see LeBron James, you know, walking onto the court in the at, at the Pacers arena. He sees Calbert Chaney, gets a big smile on his face. They hug each other. Calbert's out there talking with Damian Lillard. So he's got kind of the contacts and the cachet. Um, and so I think, you know, and just his experience with player development, you know, helping all those Pacers players develop. And we know the impact that he had at Indiana. So, you know, I look at this similarly to how I looked at it when Mike Woodson came, which is, you know, okay, you know, this is, you know, obviously a guy who doesn't have a ton of college coaching experience. How much of an impact is he going to have? But when you kind of looked at what Mike Woodson was going to be able to bring in this new era of college basketball, I think now Calvert Chaney kind of falls right in with that and helps Indiana continue to build this kind of new program. You know, this, you know, it's, you've got a lot of the old guys who built what Indiana was, who were now here helping build what Indiana is going to be with this new vision. And I think he makes a lot of sense. It's not just bringing an old Indiana player back. He makes a lot of sense based on his experience, um, you know, and his Rolodex and like all the things that he brings that matter now. I, I think it can really help Indiana continue to go to the next level. You you can talk me down. I mean, I'm going to be more excited about it than anybody, but I do think there are real legitimate reasons to think this is a, a good hire. I'll tell you what the most important reason is. And you can talk about player development, all that. I mean, player development guys – how much impact do they have? I mean, it depends on the program. It really does how involved they are and all that. Um, sometimes it's just a title to get a guy around the program. Um, and sometimes they actually are severely, you know, seriously involved with it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times they work heavily with the strength team and all that stuff and, and get involved. Uh, what I'll say about it and why I think it's important has nothing to do with player development. It's because I, I, I think that having, all-time greats around the program is never a bad thing, um, especially at a place like Indiana, where 
this the program prides itself so much on the past. Yeah. Uh, I think no matter the program, even if I hate the program, I think it's cool seeing the former players in the stands or on the bench or coming back to be honored or whatever. The connection to how you got there is incredibly important. And especially at a place like Indiana, as I said, um, you know, we were there in person for one of our meetups, unfortunately for the game, but the day that Bob Knight finally returned. And the coolest thing about that, it was not Bob Knight walking out on the court and acknowledging the crowd. It was how many players were back for Bob Knight yeah. walking out onto the floor for that. You know, so it's both things, but how many players were back? I mean, the buzz in town the night before because all those guys were back. We were out at Knicks seeing several of them there. I mean, Keith Smart and Dean Garrett were at the bar hanging out. Uh, as I was walking out, another, I forget who it was, walked in. And, you know, that's great, not only for the program, but for Bloomington. I mean, yeah. for people like you who grew up watching that team and know all those guys and know the, you know, the proverbial back of their trading cards, you know, like uh, the, the statistics, what they did, the games, all that. It's important to have those guys around the program and bringing him in as a, you know, he's a coach, bringing him in to help, never a bad thing. I think that's an added bonus, but really just having him around the program is a huge, huge deal. And um, I would say that it's Mike Woodson's program right now. Um, but in a way, it's kind of all of ours a little bit and all the people who grew up with it. And so having a guy like that around, being able to be interviewed, being able to be there for every game, being able to you know just see him working with players and all that is great for, for Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm just so excited. So we'll talk about it more. And obviously, if there are any uh, opportunities to get interviews with uh, with any new members of the staff. We will certainly do whatever we can to make that happen as well. Um, but just very, very excited. A good week for Indiana basketball. Anytime you bring Calvert Chaney back closer to the program. Um, a couple other headlines, Ryan. Indiana leads the Big Ten or led the Big Ten in attendance this past season for the first time since 2014, uh, which was a little bit surprising. That, that it was is the first surprising. time since then that Indiana's led in attendance. Um they were eighth in the nation, 16,101 fans per game. Trivia time, Ryan. Uh, which season featured the highest average attendance uh, for Indiana basketball games since Assembly Hall was built? Oh, which man. season? Has the, has, the, has the arena, they haven't expanded the arena. It's always been the same size, right? I'm pretty sure that the, the, yeah, the stated capacity or the listed capacity is 17,222. And it's okay. always, as far as I can remember, it's always been somewhere right around there. I'm going to say, okay, well, no, that would narrow it down too much. That'd be too easy. Um, Instinct says like 76, but I'm going to say the Damon Bailey years, like 92. Mm -mm. It was actually the 12-13 uh, season. 17,000, yeah, an average of 17,412 for 19 home games. Now, someone, maybe IU Artifacts or someone else who's listening can tell us if, you know, maybe there have been changes in the capacity. It, that's or the whatever. only way that's possible, right? But yeah, I mean, it was, it was that year. Well, I mean, wow. think about how much enthusiasm there was. I mean, there, there was as was, much enthusiasm I, for that year as there's been for, I mean, maybe I, since you know, There's 76. that much enthusiasm. You're right, but what, what puzzled me would be the students because, you know, even when there's a ton of, you know, people don't, show up or or whatever but it's also is that ticket sold or att actual attendance that's that'd be an interesting yeah uh, i think that was actual there. attendance but. okay 
Yeah. Uh, like anyway, if anybody, wow, that, I mean, that, that surprises me. I would have thought it was a much older one. Because yeah, of, and that was in know, the official time. IU release. So interesting. Yeah, I was surprised cool. by that as well. That's awesome. I mean, the, those great years were on my list, but I was just thinking it would be, you know, no empty seats during some of those championship years or during, you know, I know there's so much anticipation for Damon coming and, and all yeah. that. So those would be my guesses. Yep. Interesting. Um, the Gavit game. Good job, schedule. Tom Crean. Yes. Yes. Um, the Gavit game schedule uh, came out. Indiana not playing in that as expected. Uh, Indiana already fulfilled its contractual obligations uh, how many, for that How event. many did they do in that? I don't know. Whatever the... Did, I think we did... Three, I mean, no, the, did they no, do no. the last three years? No, I meant the last three. Was, I think, yeah, I think the last three. So it was expected that we wouldn't be part of it this year. Okay. And we are not. Uh, and Ryan, Indiana rises to an eight seed in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology. So a couple big wins, you know, this week got us up, bumped us up from a 10 seed to an eight seed. Uh, and obviously, offseason bracketology is ridiculous. The only reason I bring that up, though, is if you're an eight seed, that means you're a team basically between 29 and 32. Do you think that's fair for this Indiana Probably. team right now? Probably. I think Xavier Johnson coming back elevates them, and then I think they've added a lot of talent. Um, I, I still think, you know, I, I mean, again, what's going to help them is I really see some teams going down in the Big Ten this year. I mean, like, what's going to happen at Michigan? Like, you know, I mean, it, you know, places like that. I, I you know. know, if Zach Eady's gone at Purdue, what does Purdue look like? Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, they'll be fi- they'll be fine. They'll be consistent. But I mean, are they top four? You know, that's that's can you can you make that argument? Maybe. But um, if he comes back, obviously, they're the favorite. No question. But then, you know, Michigan State's going to be really good after that. It's, I think it's going to be like this past year. It's just a jumbled mess of everybody's kind of on the same level. And if Indiana, you know, can add a maybe a shooter or something else, I think they put themselves firmly in that mix. So if you're in that mix, you're probably, you know, somewhere from 20 to 40 in there if you're in that jumble yeah you know again i mean it's it's just it's such a ridiculous exercise to do um, of course but to me it, it does seem relatively fair because we'll get into in segment two i mean i'm so excited about this roster and the talent like you just you can't argue with the fact that this is one of the most talented rosters certainly one of the most talented rosters since we started the show yeah but there are still question marks about how that's going to come together and a lot of the talent is unproven so you know that does kind of feel it's fair worth- to me it's worth noting too, their recruiting class has jumped to number nine for 2023 yep. as well. That includes transfers, I believe, though. So, um, Kello yep. Ware and, and, and Baco both helped that. Uh, I don't know what their high school recruiting rank is, but yeah, their overall yep. rank looks about number nine yep. in 20, according to 24 7. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, okay. Well, let's move on here. Coming up on Assembly Call Radio, we are going to use some recent comments by Jeff Goodman as a jumping-off point into a broader discussion about Indiana's roster building under Mike Woodson. We'll talk about that next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. All right. Hello to everybody who is here with us live. Always great to see you all. Um, by the way, exciting news. Our friends at Doing the Work, Kathy Amos, Jeff Marlowe, interviewed Chloe Moore McNeil today. Uh, and so I'm not exactly sure when that is going to be up in feeds, but be on the lookout for that. Uh, did an interview with Chloe, who obviously, you know, has just gotten better every season and steps into an even more uh, prominent role this year, uh, you know, as a ball handler with Grace Berger gone. Um, so be on the lookout for that when that hits feeds. 
Um, and we also are going to have uh, some exciting news with the email, uh, something that we're doing with email coming out uh, with Tony Adranya. He'll probably be on the show maybe next week or the week after. We'll talk about that. Some of the stuff that we're doing um, really kind of as another way to give folks who aren't necessarily in our community a way to access uh, some of Tony's film work. Um, so it'll always be there for community members. But we want to give another avenue as well. And so we will talk to you all about that once it's ready and when we have uh, Tony on here. So, but man, awesome to see everybody here. Always great to be talking Indiana basketball for another week and especially great to be doing it uh, on a week when, uh, when Calvert Chaney returns, which is phenomenal. Oh, right. And as Jen says, am I the only one who is holding judgment until we actually see our team on the floor? Lots of great individual players who have never played together. No, it's a great point. Um, and, you know, obviously we all have to to kind of hold our judgment, but it's, I will say this as a preface for this next segment, it is much better to have question marks about how five-star guys are going to do as opposed to question marks about if three-star guys can outplay their recruiting ranking. Um, those are much better questions to have. And for a long time, we had the previous type of questions it felt like, and now we're starting to get more of the latter. Um, and that is good. All right. Yeah, talent wins in the end, guys. Yes. Yes, it does. Okay, here we go. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. The coach and Andy are off this week. Uh, Ryan, one of the questions that we got in our mailbag was from Terry, and he says, I would like to see you delve deeper into the topic Jeff Goodman raised on his podcast this week uh, about if Woody is putting together teams built for the 90s. Um, you have not heard these comments, correct? I, I, I saw everybody reacting to it, but haven't heard the actual comments. Okay, so I pulled them. I'm going to play them right here. Now, this is just a snippet that they put on social media. I didn't listen to the full conversation between uh, Jeff and Rob, but this is what they put out on social media that everybody responded to. And so let's listen to it now. My biggest question mark with Indiana is, again, is Mike Woodson coaching and putting together teams like he's coaching in the 90s? You know, that's my biggest worry. Now, again, I'm not saying Renew and Ware are like plotting bigs. They're not. But can they step out and make shots from three? I'm not convinced of that. I, I think the spacing might be ugly on the court if you try to play those three together. Defensively, they should be fine. And, and Xavier Johnson and Galloway have to, have to, have to make shots. And maybe they will. But, I, you know, again, Xavier Johnson coming back from an injury. Galloway's only done it for a short period of time, and I like them both. But I just – my big thing these days is all about, like, not just accumulating talent. Because, again, the same problem exists for me at Kentucky in a way. Do the pieces fit together? The pieces fit together at UConn last year. They fit together. I don't know if they fit together in Indiana or Kentucky completely. Uh, and obviously there, when he was talking about playing the three together, he met Mbako, Mbako, uh, Renew, and Ware together. Your instant reaction to those comments? Um, I would have had no issue with it heading into last year. Um, I, I can see the argument. I, I'm not flipping out like, what is he talking about? I mean, I wouldn't say 90s. I would say early 2000s would be the 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 line for me. I think it is set up kind of, I think the program is kind of set up 
like the time Mike Woodson coached in the NBA. I, I do. And I think that the system is kind of set up that way. Um, you don't have a bunch of guys who can shoot threes on the floor. You don't have a lot of freedom of movement and things. I think you're getting better. I think you're getting more, more towards it. Um, you don't have a ton of fluid defense where everybody can switch. You started seeing that more with Trace Jackson Davis at the end of the year. Uh, Race Thompson obviously helped with that. Um, I do think we're you're trending more towards that type of program, but I don't see three point shooting prioritized uh, the way it needs to be. I again, I think that's getting a little bit better slowly at a kind of glacial pace, but that's what works in basketball these days is having a bunch of guys who can shoot, uh, who defenses need to respect from the perimeter, who need to switch. That's not the way it was in the '90s. You maybe had one shooter on your roster early 2000s, maybe you had two and it was a lot of isolation drive post up stuff like that. And that's what we've seen from IU's offense so far. Now they're saying we want to change that. We want to change the offense. We know what we want. We want it to be different. We get your frustrations. Let's see it. I'm not saying they're not, they're lying. I, you know, I, but I, but I, I will believe it when I see it because I think Mike Woodson is coaching what he knows. He knows defense and he knows that kind of ISO post up offense. So and, and that's that's not unique to Mike Woodson. Coaches rarely dramatically change what they do from one job to the next. Mike D'Antoni knows his teams never played defense. Did he ever work to change that? No. He played a very high-scoring offensive team that never played defense. Won a lot of regular season games that way and always disappointed in the playoffs. It's just an example. A lot of coaches are that way. John Calipari has run the same offense his entire time as a college head coach. Even if it doesn't work with his personnel, he will run the same offense, that dribble drive motion, all of that. Um, I, I just think that coaches do what they do and hopefully build the perfect team to their system and don't really change that much. I would love it if Mike Woodson was a little more, you know, wound up changing the offense, prized three pointers more, prized an open floor offense, a spread floor offense. I just, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and it's not a knock on Mike Woodson. I think he's doing what he knows best. Yeah, my first thought is, look, if we're going to go 90s, let's go all the way. Calvert's back. Let him use his COVID year. He can take that open two-guard spot and still go out there and get double digits, even now as a 51-year-old. So that's my first thought. Um, no, I, you know, when I heard those comments, I didn't really... I mean, I think Jeff relatively did a relatively good job of expressing what some of the question marks are about this team. Now, I think the one thing that he left out, and I don't know if this was talked about in the rest of the podcast, because I didn't have a chance to listen to it. And I think even you left it out a little bit there when you were talking. I do think that this staff has prioritized and tried to get more three-point shooting and more dynamic wing players. They just haven't been successful yet at landing them. And that's that's true. Yeah. And, you know, the guys that they've landed, you know, you get a chance with Kalel you're going to take him. And they needed someone at that spot. And the nice thing with Ware he, is honestly, he's he is a more of a modern man. big man. Right. And so, you know, Jeff says, hey, I don't know if Renew and Ware are going to be able to step out and hit threes. The evidence isn't great for either one, but Ware, right. you know, hit threes in high school. He wasn't terrible as a freshman. I mean, if you're going to tell me a big man hit, you know, 29 threes on 29% of his threes on decent volume as a freshman, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us still and have you, confidence you, of course, in CJ Gunn as a better, shooter, yeah. and he shot 8%. Yeah. So, you know, you got to take a freshman three-point shooting with a grain of salt, and I'm actually encouraged by what we saw from Ware. Um, you know, same thing. So you get Mbako. In a perfect world, you probably slot Mbako in as a four. 
but you also had a chance to get Malik Renew, a five-star big man. You're not going to turn that away. Yes. So there is a little bit of, you know, you've got to get the best players. You know, if, yes. if you're going to tell me, okay, we can get lesser players, but put them into, you know, this perfect system, better I'd spots. still rather have the better players. I, I would agree. And, and you know, you look at Renew, too. I mean, there's more of towards that. I mean, because Renew basically plays like Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, that's essentially, he's a lefty post only guy. He can step out. He can handle the ball a little. He's aggressive, all that. And he can step out a little. We saw him, you know, trying shooting more. And I think that yeah. that will be part of his game moving forward. But he's also a five-star from Montverde. And you're trying to recruit all of Montverde's roster pretty much. I mean, yeah. there, there are ulterior motives to taking certain players at certain times too. And you have a chance to get a Montverde guy and build a pipeline you take it regardless of how you want to play and you build your team around it, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I, I there's no, it, the taking renew was a no brainer going after him. I mean, it was a no brainer and all three of those guys, you're absolutely. going to take them and you're going to play them. So. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I have no problem with the players they've taken. Yeah. I do think they need to hit more on some of these multi-use guys who can play inside yes. out, who can, you know, shoot and drive, uh, create points from the wing. I mean, that's what I said. I pounded the table for weeks about getting a wing score. They got him, Baco. It's just a question of what he can do as a freshman, you know, and and yeah. how much can he do? How much does his three point shooting improve from the what he shot like twenty nine percent in his senior year or in the EYBL? I think he shot like twenty something percent. If yeah. he can move that to a thirty three percent, now we're talking. I would take that right now. If you I can lock in thirty three percent from him, you got to respect the thirty three percent shooter. But I think yeah. that that what needs to happen, and not every team has this, but the goal of basketball teams now is to have at least four guys on the floor who can shoot shots, who can hit shots from the outside. Not at 40%, but also not at 18%. You know, Just be credible. Be credible. Yes, be a threat. And be able to, at some point, hit three of five or something in, in a game so they have to respect you. Basically, um, the difference between Trey Galloway as a sophomore and Trey Galloway as a junior. Yes, as a junior, you had to respect him. As a sophomore, at the end of the year, people, people played just 10 minutes, even, 10 feet off of him. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and so that's the goal of, of basketball now. And again, you can thank the Warriors for that. I mean, really, three-point shooting was becoming a thing, like more of a thing in professional basketball heading into when the Warriors and Steve Kerr changed the game. And now it's everywhere. It's it's sort of like Bill Walsh and the West Coast offense. Everybody started running that. And then the spread infected the NFL. Everybody runs a version of it now. It's The game changes whether you like it or not, and you have to change with it. And if you don't change with it, you do get left behind. And Archie Miller, for example, got left behind. What worked in the early, in, in the, like, what worked in, like, 2010 did not work when Archie was Indiana's coach. And it had a there were there were there were plenty of reasons why it didn't work, but part of it was the style was outdated. The offense was completely outdated. And and Mike Woodson, I think his offense has been better than that, certainly. Yeah. But it's it's not as big a step as Indiana needed to take to modernize things. Again, he's had two years. Maybe the third year things kick into that again. I'm not saying it's impossible. Mike Woodson's a very smart guy. He knows basketball. It shouldn't take too much to show him, hey, we need more of this and less of this if we're going to win. And yeah. that that's that's the big question mark. Do they take that? Now, again, you're right about getting the players. You got to get the players to fit that system. Um and so hopefully, again, they start hitting on some more of these guys. Yeah, and, th and that's why I just, I think those are all fair questions for this season. I just think 
the the jury is still out for Goodman's comment on Woody being, you know, building like it's in the nineties. Simply Again, because, going into last year, I would have agreed. Uh, yes. Going to this year, I think it's a little different. I think there's much more yeah, well, I mean, versatility on the roster. Yeah, and you know, and you look at some of the guys they brought in. You know, they brought in a CJ Gunn, they brought in a Jakai Newton, which are players that should be able to go play on the wing that Indiana hasn't had. They're just guys who are going to take a little while to develop. They missed on a whole bunch of guys in the transfer portal. They wanted Nick Timberlake. They wanted Dalton Connect. They wanted some of these guys, um, you know, who would be able to to do some of that. And if you look at the hot board in 2024 and 2025, you know, there's Flory Badunga on there and Derek Queen on there. But all of, almost all of the other guys are multi-talented wings who can shoot, pass, yeah. you know, a lot of three-level scores. So I think the jury is still out. The one interesting thing to me, and we talked about it a lot last season – kind of a chicken egg thing, right? It's like, all right, you know, Mike Woodson is now going to be in his third year. You can't sell hope. You can't sell kind of a vision. Totally. You have to also sell what actually happened. And as we said last year, this wasn't necessarily an offense that really featured, you know, perimeter shooters, especially, you know, yeah. Miller cop guys like that who maybe, you know, aren't great at getting their own shot, need the offense to open it up for them. And so, you know, that's kind of a question. If you're a guy like that, when you look at Indiana's offense, well, how much is there for me to do? But a lot of the guys they're going after are more the Jalen Huchifino types and the McKenzie Mbako types who are, you know, kind of multi-skilled guys who can go get their own shot and get it out of the offense. Um, you know, and if you stack three or four of those guys in an offense, you're going to be pretty good. So I say all of that to say, I think there are, you know, and, and we're going to spend a lot of the offseason talking about the questions of this team. Um, I just, I think it's perfectly fair to be very excited about the talent and really excited about the ceiling of this team, but also have questions about how so many unproven guys who haven't played together, how it's all actually going to work on the court. That all seems fair. Um, you know, so I think for the most part, Goodman articulated that fairly well there. And then I just think it's a wait and see on, you know, kind of the roster building. Cause I just, you know, for whatever reason, it just feels like we won't really find that out until we see what happens in 24 and 25. And a lot of effort has kind of been pushing toward that. This was kind of the bridge year. And really, I think they did a phenomenal job of filling the roster with talent in a bridge year, you know, to help make sure that there's not a big drop off from last year. So I don't have a whole lot of issues with what they've done. I still have questions about what it'll look like going forward. Um, but, you know, all things considered, we're in a much, much, much better spot than we were a couple of years ago. And now we'll just see, you know, how much higher Mike Woodson can take it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I don't I, the spirit of the comments I maybe don't love, but I, I really don't think it's anything to get upset about. It's a guy's opinion about what he's seen from Indiana before. And he's, he's not totally wrong. Uh, again, I would have said early two thousands, not or two thousands, not nineties, but that that's really my only gripe with it. Yeah. I, and I think there's potential for him to be wrong, but we have to see it. You know, we yes. have to see it. Yep. Um, all right. Let's uh, keep going here on Assembly Call Radio. We've got a bunch of other good questions in our mailbag, so let's get to that segment now so we can get through as many of those questions as possible. Stick with us here on Assembly Call Radio. All right. And congrats to Jeff's daughter, Talia. Who yeah, is going to be an intern for Peaks this year, and so. and look, Jeff has 
you know, before his daughter came to campus, he really loved picking at IU fans. Um, he's been pretty positive on IU since she got there. He's seeing it from a different perspective. I, I, you know, I, I used to find him exceptionally annoying. Um, he would say a lot of things that were true, but we didn't want to, we don't want to hear them, you know, because we're aware, Jeff, thanks. You know, that kind of, uh, (laughs) thing, you know, he was really down on the Mike Woodson hire and, and I wasn't as down on it as he was, but some of his points were valid, uh, at the time, certainly some of his concerns about it were, were valid. Um, but I would say, I think he's softened a lot on Indiana because I think he sort of sees the community and sees why the fans are so rabid and all of that. But, um, so I, I don't take, I think now I think his, his, he's making these comments because he kind of deep down wants Indiana to be good. So his, his daughter can have a good experience. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with Jeff. I, I think there are some national media members who, and look, I don't even mind if you if you point out the flaws in Indiana. I mean, there you know this program has been in the wilderness, and there's all kinds of issues. Kind of earned it, you know. Point like, them out, but there you know there's a certain level of twisting the knife. No, yeah. no. What I want to say is there's a certain level of respect and appreciation that you at least want to know is underlying the comments for a program yeah. like Indiana. Like that's why I always thought Mark and um, and Tate were so good because they could see and highlight Still the absurdity good, of college basketball and point out everything that was wrong, but you knew beneath it all, they, they love it. what it is and, and all the unique things about each program and fan base. And, and I think there are certain are national great. writers out there who now love to get off on just, you know, kind of picking yeah. on Indiana. And the irony yeah. is they've been more wrong about Indiana than anybody else. So, I will but say I don't this. think Jeff is in that category. No, I don't either. Let, let me say this too. Indiana's fan base are our lovely listeners. Um, are the reason they do that because we react to things that people say we're very defensive about our program and our school. Yes. And it's, 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 it's an aspect of our fan base. I love, but they know they can rile you up by saying certain things and they will keep going to that. Well, as long as you continue to get riled up again, come in here and get riled up. We'll let you do that. But if a national yeah. podcast starts twisting the knife on India, there's one reason and it's because they know you will come at them. I've it. tried to so, be much more disciplined. Coach yeah. chewed me out once, and I've tried to be much more disciplined uh, about not responding to that stuff when it happens. And if you do that, so. you're kind of a, like, I love you, but you're kind of a sucker because that's what they yeah. want. That I is know. what they want. They want the attention. They want the... Yeah, you know what it is? You I mean, the traffic like, business. I get this, folks. I know. Like, it's... Yeah. And, and you know what it is? I mean, obviously, Gary Parrish is, you know, kind of en- enemy number one for Indiana fans right now because he just likes to troll Indiana. And I think for me, when I realized that he's been wrong about Indiana more than anybody else, calling the Archie Miller hire a home run, wondering if we paid $10 million to get worse. Once I realized that, I was like, why even pay attention to it at all? Yeah. And so well, he's then a, just you know, stop paying attention to it. So. He's a, and he was a big Crean. He's friends with Tom Crean, you know, a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. And and I think that... He, and uh, actually, personally, he's actually a really nice guy. All of my is. personal interactions with Gary have been great. He's he's incredibly when nice I'm, guy. When I'm behind so. the, when I'm behind the assembly call Twitter this, account, as, it gets me riled up. As somebody, <laughs> as somebody who works in the sports media business, and I've had people who, are, who some of you are in there now, uh, have met me in person and will say, man, you're way nicer than I thought you'd be. When you're <laughs> doing this... You do have a bit of a persona because your job, when I write or whatever, it's not that I don't believe what I'm saying, but you, you jack it up a little bit because it, your job is entertainment. Your job is entertainment. And so yeah. to some degree, 
and it's not even in, intentional. Sometimes you just become a version of yourself that's maybe a little more dialed up or dialed back or or whatever because you're you're for entertainment. So these people away that you know people run into people and they'll be like, oh, he didn't talk shit to me in person. Sorry, swearing, but mm-hmm. he he didn't talk crap to me in person. It's like, well, yeah, because he's not that guy. Like it's <laughs> right. a version of himself. And he's going to say things and you're saying things for entertainment purposes. We are here to entertain you, not, you know, tell you about our lives, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I, I do think that, that that is a part of it. And some people are as authentic as you'll ever meet. Coach is the most authentic person you'll meet on or off ever. But I, I think that yeah. some that that certain people in this ecosystem are are you know, a person actually both coach and Andy. Yeah. Andy, Andy too. <laughs> Andy is too. Although, no, you know what? No, no, I'm going to disagree with that because I've gotten texts with Andy. Oh, well, that's true. Program. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. And I've sat next to Andy at a game. Yeah. yeah no, I looked over at him. Like, who the hell yeah. is this guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Normal everyday that. Andy <laughs> yeah. is, is, but Andy Indiana at a sporting fan. event. Yeah. Indiana, Indiana fan, Andy, different guy. Yeah. Different, that is, different okay. Guy. That is true. That is true. Brian's being stupid again. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. You ready to hop in and answer some mailbag questions? Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. I muted myself, but yeah. Here we go. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. All righty. Thank you, Devontae. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips, and we are talking Indiana basketball here on Calvert Cheney Week, a very triumphant week uh, for Indiana fans everywhere as Calvert is back with the program. Things are going well. Indiana building a talented roster, so we are uh, – All very excited here. And Ryan, we got a bunch of good questions, so let's uh, power through as many of these as we can get to. All of these questions this week submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, And we hope you join us in there. I mean, it's the off season, but there are still four, five, six conversations going on in there every day. Uh, We're going to have a lot more analysis coming from uh, from Tony Adranya with IU Film Room. So it's a good time to join, and so we hope that you will uh, join us over there, assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, Ryan, here's the first question from Andrew. Who has the highest NBA slash pro ceiling on the team? He says probably a debate between Mbako and Ware. I would say that's fair. I would say Ware because of his athleticism. I mean, if he can really be that size and play inside out, Yes. Who do I think realizes their potential is more likely to realize their potential? Mbako. Um, but where's just I mean, he's a unicorn. He's seven one, can handle the ball, play on the perimeter. I mean, if he if he can hit threes and and drive from the perimeter, I mean, you're looking at a Kevin Durant type guy. Now, does he become Kevin Durant? Come on, he's he's one of the top ten players of all time, probably. Well, top eight, top ten scores of all time, probably. Um, so no, but the potential is there for him to be just one of those unicorn guys who's that big and does can do everything on the floor. Does he reach it? It's going to take a long time. It, it especially takes. It's harder for big guys to reach their potential. Yep. You know because the athleticism issues uh, that come in, um, injuries, all Injury, that. Yeah. But. Uh, and they face more of that, but I would say, uh, 
he's he's number one on the list certainly and and again it's two questions who will who who has the highest ceiling and who or who will is more likely to reach our highest ceiling i think those are different answers yeah i mean i agree with you i think Ware definitely has the highest ceiling i mean if he realizes it and becomes everything he can be that's an all nba player honestly yes like as big yep. as he is if he can shoot i'm not saying he's going to get there but that's his ceiling. And I think, you know, Mbako probably has that ceiling too, but it's a little bit easier for him to get, you know, to become kind of another wing in the NBA. Like there's a lot of guys who do that. It's, you know, obviously a very um, important. I mean, all NBA teams need, you know, two or three guys like Mbako who have that kind of size, who can score in multiple ways. So I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a pretty clear path, um, you know, to Mbako just being a solid NBA player for a long time, but he's also got star potential if, you know, if he reaches it, but you can't teach one and, and that kind of touch and everything that Ware has. So I think he's, he's got the highest ceiling. And I said, Luol Deng is, is my Mbako thing guy who can play on the perimeter, has some size, not the best athlete in the world, but a guy who can do some things. And Luol Deng was a really good NBA player before injuries derailed it. So yeah. I, I, I think that, and, and then there's obviously a ceiling for him to go higher. Uh, than that but that's that's kind of what he reminds me of a guy who can do a little bit of everything from the perimeter play a little inside and and make some shots yep good question andrew uh next up this is from our buddy chris at iu artifacts how do you rank calvert's return to the iu program in terms of all of the off-season storylines jared you're gonna put this at number one i know uh no i would put it i would put it Number three, I, I, I would put it behind the four. the players who committed. I've said I, you know, it's it's if he was coming as the head coach or something, you know, that's that's a huge deal. But player development, I mean, it's nice to have him on campus. It's a nice story. I don't think it's a vitally important story for how the team is going to play or anything like that. Um, I, but I would say that number one is Mbako. Number two is probably Ware, and then Calvert probably number three. Uh, Xavier Johnson coming back and Calvert are, are you know probably right. Uh, together for me yeah and really it kind of depends on the time frame that you're talking about um you know if you're just looking at impact on this season you know obviously it's the yes. players i think if you're looking more macro now you can start to make a little bit more of an argument um for caliber but i agree with you i mean a director of you know player development coming in right now is only going to have so much impact on the season coming up um, yeah. but i think he can have an enormous impact on the program down the road just building a culture and, you know, again, having something else to sell to recruits. There's a lot of reasons to like that, but I'm with you. The greatest thing to be able to sell to recruits is, hey, McKenzie Mbako decommitted from Duke and came here over Kansas and Kalel Ware, a five-star who's maybe a lottery pick, uh, also came here. Yeah. That's, you're not going to get anything That's, bigger than that. So, And and the long-term impact on the program of being able to say that, say back-to-back -back years, we got five-star recruits. We also added a five-star transfer. You know, I mean, yeah. that's a big deal. Yep. Uh, and also, uh, I will say just the lack of any bad offseason storylines is nice. I think it was around this time last year. That, that might be the top story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really might be. Because um, this was around the time when X had his issues last year. Um, yeah. And so fortunately, none of that. And hopefully, there's none to come. Uh, Phil says, did Jordan Holes encourage Woodson to pursue uh, Calbert as Calbert was with the team when Jordy was a player. Uh, I do. One thing I do love about Indiana fans is how much credit Jordan Hulls is given for things that he may or may not have had any impact on. Jordan, I do, Jordan, probably I love it how the, it, Jordan probably picked up his phone. He's like, Oh, Calbert's coming. 
Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, it's just great. You know, like Trey Galloway's doing better, and it's oh wow, he must have really worked with Jordan Hulls, you know, in the offseason to fix his shot. And look, I mean, I love Jordan, and I think Jordan's had a huge impact on the program. Um, I think in this case, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Jordan was, you know, consulted and talked to because he was there when Calvert was talking. But, you know, Mike as far Woodson as I know, this Calvert. was a yeah. As far as I know, this was a discussion between Scott Dolson and Mike Woodson. I believe, I don't know if uh, the NCAA this year recently expanded how many coaches you can have Yes. now ca- on court because Calvert's going to be able to work on the court with them. He's yeah. not a recruiting position. Um, and they looked at it and he was the number one choice. Um, and, you know, they were able to get him, um, which is, you know, another, another good uh, recruiting victory for Indiana. Um, so I don't know what impact uh, Jordan had. But uh, I do know that Jordan is having a big impact just on the program overall. And just that's the thing. We don't know exactly everything Jordan does. We don't know exactly everything Calvert's going to do. We don't know everything that Cliff Marshall does, you know, and all, you know, Yah and Kenya and, you know, Walsh and all these guys. But what we do know is that the more good people with the right mindset that you can stack up, it's just going to create a better culture for Indiana basketball. And I mean, in my time watching Indiana basketball, if I had to pick the top 10 culture guys, Calbert and Jordan Hulls would be in that list. They're up there, yeah. There's no question about it. Um, and so having them as part of the program, you know, and all the winning that they experience, it's only going to help. Uh, all right, Jerry, what happens to the people in the transfer portal who don't find a new home? I assume they are not welcome back at their current schools. Or are they just out of school, including basketball? Some return. Um, to the previous schools, if there's a room, some go to a lower division and some what's their scholarship situation. Like when you go in the transfer portal, your scholarship at your current school is done, right? Isn't that for, the case? uh, I don't know exactly when it's terminated. If you still are connected or if they release you from it or, or at what point they release you from it, because some guys go in the transfer portal and return. A lot of guys go in the transfer portal and return. So I don't know when it's officially, but the team would have to, yeah, that's would the team have to take you back or can you just say I'm coming back? No, I don't think they have to take you back. So I don't know if that's just an agreement to come back. Like if once you go in the transfer portal, the team is allowed to replace you. They don't have to wait for you to leave to replace you, but maybe it's just an agreement to come back. You know, if there's an open spot. Um, But as far as I know, they just become students. Now, if you, I don't know how it works because a lot of times, so guys can go to a college on a scholarship, decide to stop playing and keep their scholarship. They sign aid papers, keep their scholarship and proceed as a student. And the, the team will get that scholarship back, but the school is paying a scholarship for them. There are agreements like that. Um, also medical retirements. If guys retire for medical reasons, they sign paperwork. They can be a full scholarship student and just it's the same scholarship as basketball player, but the basketball team gets the scholarship back if they medically yeah. retire. Some guys, some guys have medically retired and then gone back to play at another school. But so I don't know the exact mechanisms there in place. But typically, if you're in the transfer portal, your team's going to if it's if it's, if you're at a good program, they're going to replace you, and as fast as they can. They're not expecting you to return, but you know Indiana is a situation where a bunch of their guys went in the transfer portal when Mike Woodson took the job, and they brought them all. They brought, I think, all of them except for Armand Franklin came back. Yep. So, I mean, that's you know uh, it, that happens. Um, but again, yeah, I think it depends on the situation. But there are guys who are going to go into the transfer portal and not find spots, and, and then they, they don't just, have a scholarship, and so 
Yeah. And I don't know. know how that works if they can go back to their original school and just be students or I, I, I do not know that's something that I have not seen written about. Um, yeah, I don't know. If anybody listening knows the answer to that, actually, yeah, please know. reach out. Curious. I'm not sure the exact <clears throat> machinery of how that works because honestly, we don't talk about those kids, you know, the ones who missed out on the transfer portal or who were sold on probably behind the scenes. Hey, come here and they decommit, they're ready to go. And then somebody else, you know, transfers and takes their spot at yeah. that new school. So, um, and then somebody transfers in to take their spot at the old school and they're left in limbo. I do not know the answer to that, but I would assume they just go and finish college. Uh, from Rick, what shooters are left in the portal that might be a fit or maybe grad transfers? And I saw uh, Keegan in the chat said, same thing. When are we going to get that guard that'll complete our puzzle? I don't Here, know. Uh, I, want, I want you to, I'm going to know what your answer is to this, but I do, I want to plug um, the recent episode of ball from assembly hall with Christian Watford and Derek Elston. Uh, who almost were going to be on the show tonight. We're going to get them on an episode uh, one of these times, either Assembly Call Radio or we'll do a, a separate one with them if we can't get them on at night. But I thought their discussion about the current roster was really good. And I think Christian Watford's comments on Trey Galloway are something all IU fans should listen to. Um, I should have pulled it. Um, I mean, basically, in a nutshell, what Christian said was, it doesn't matter what Indiana does, you're not getting Trey Galloway out of the starting lineup. He's done too much. The coaches respect him too much. His game has improved too much. And you're just, you're not going to get him out of the starting lineup. Now, whether that's true or not, I mean, I think there's a, a situation where the right guy comes along and Trey can, you know, move into more of a sixth man role. Either way, it's all about the total minutes that you play, not whether you're starting. But I, I thought, I thought Christian's comments were a very forceful reminder to Indiana fans who, you know, reasonably, uh, and fairly are kind of looking out, how can we improve this roster? Don't overlook the fact that that guy is a really, really good basketball player who yep. has gotten better every season and may well come back better this year. Um, so I just, you know, if you're looking to get a little bit more excited about what Trey Galloway can bring next year, listen to Christian Watford, because I don't think outside of our own coach, Jeff Marlowe, I don't think there's a bigger Trey Galloway fan uh, than Christian Watford. You know, that's and said, think about defense, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know. That's the thing. I mean, Indiana's backcourt does have some offensive challenges. How many teams are going to want to go against Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway in the backcourt? I mean, you are not going to have an easy possession against those two guys, you know? So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are you hearing any names? Or are there any names out there that you're interested in? You know, obviously Cam Spencer is still out there. Ray J Dennis, like all these names that we've heard, but there's no... Nothing I've heard ties any of them to Indiana in any way that makes me yeah, pay close attention. I've heard to Ray J. Dennis is a no for Indiana to Indiana. I don't know which end that's coming from, whether it's him or, or the, the program or both, but I've heard he's a no. Um, Camp Spencer fits what they need. I I don't know where he's going to end up. Um, and I don't know. I don't think he's coming to Indiana either. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, but I don't, I don't know. You know, I can't definitively say no. I haven't heard no on him, but it doesn't seem like that's what he's looking for. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, there's not, I mean, there's not a whole lot of guys left that, that are Indiana level players and, um, and shooting goes fast. And we talked about it, you know, weeks ago and before Mbako decommitted from Duke, we talked about wing scorers and they were running out. And they were lucky that Mbaco, the Mbaco situation unfolded the way it did because they were without a wing scorer. And, you know, coach and I were kind of having a back and forth about whether to take Ledlam. And I was like, well, who else are you going to get? 
Like there's, right. there's not a whole lot of guys out there. They went all in on a couple guys and they went elsewhere. And other than where they, you know, the guys they went in on hard connect and, you know, these other guys went elsewhere. And so when you miss out, you leave a gap and they've missed out on guys in recruiting and in, in the transfer portal. And so I don't know if there's an Indiana level shooter left. Um, or if they're just going to hope that CJ Gunn and Trey Galloway continues to shoot the way he did and can shoot at a higher volume, uh, and that CJ Gunn comes around and that Xavier Johnson shoots more like he did his first year at Indiana than his second. And, um, yeah, I, I, and that Mbako shoots better than, you know, shoots in the thirties, essentially. I don't know if that, or, and where can, can hit some more shots. Like I, they may be banking on that at this point and leave the scholarship open. I, I tend to think. Getting a one-year transfer would be better than leaving that open. But if there's not an Indiana-level player, don't waste the scholarship. Yeah, it's got to be the right guy. Yeah, got to be the right guy Agreed. at this point. Yeah, I mean, as far as all the guys that we currently you know know about in the portal, there's no one that I'm like tracking closely. And you know, maybe we'll get some news that'll change that. The other news that could change that, and this is another question from Phil: What players will withdraw their names from the NBA draft, and which ones would be worth offering the final scholarship to? No, you know, there's talk of a guy like Julian Phillips from Tennessee, yeah. who a lot of people think is going to you know come back. I think now that Indiana has Mbako, I don't think they're going to be involved with Phillips because those are you know two guys who play similar positions. He's not yes. a two. Um, is there anybody you know from an NBA draft perspective that may come back and want to transfer that you're paying attention to? You know, I don't know. I, I think a lot of these kids are going to stay in um, this year. Uh, I just think that there's a wide open gap after about the 20th pick where if you're barely a second rounder, a team could really like your upside. I think there's a lot of upside guys in that mix. And I think they'd rather play professionally than, you know, even if you're a G League guy, you play professionally, you make some money. I mean, and I know the NL money is there, but if they're if they're already jumping to the draft, I think that they you know, are looking for more than the NIL money. So I don't know. I, I, I have, there's not a whole list of guys that I think, because most of those guys are going to return to their other school. I mean, they're not going to wind up right. in the transfer portal. So, um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of the guys who drop out will just go back to school. To yeah. And on. so I just think, you know, it's, and I know it's hard because we've spent like five, six weeks just like hanging on every piece of news. And then who's the next yeah. name? Well, you know, we've got, 12 we've got a good enough roster to go into the season with doesn't mean it couldn't be better and that we all wouldn't love to add something but this is still a good roster as it is right now the way that i'm approaching it now is i'm essentially not even paying attention to transfer portal recruiting stuff anymore until we hear serious news about like hey this guy's coming on a visit or there's real interest here i just don't think as far as i've heard that there's anybody even close enough to be that interested in maybe that'll change and if it does we'll obviously start paying attention and have an emergency podcast if someone commits. But, you know, I, I, I still, I do still get the sense that the staff would like to fill a scholarship, you know, for depth and to, you know, just add another piece. Um, but it's going to have to be the right piece. Yeah. All right. Three more questions. And the last question says this question is specifically for Ryan. Okay. So leave that, leave that hanging there as a tease uh, so that everybody comes back and listens. Um, but two other questions to get to before that from Matt. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about CJ Gunn's struggle shooting the ball last season. Did anyone see anything mechanically? Do you feel like it was a lack of confidence? My understanding is that coming out of high school, he was known as a really good shooter with decent size. Do you anticipate a return to form as a sophomore? It would seem to me that CJ has a great opportunity to step in to some increased minutes at the two if he can shoot consistently. 
Uh, yes, if he can shoot, he'll get more minutes. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, we saw his defensive aggressiveness and stuff like that was what got him minutes this year. It certainly wasn't his shooting or his offense. Uh, I think he just rushed everything. Uh, mechanically, it doesn't look like anything's specifically wrong. I just think he's hurrying because he was a freshman, came in, and then you know when you miss Which shots, so many freshmen do. It's it's very mm. common. It's very common, and because your 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 adrenaline is very high because you're in there for short bursts and you're like, I got to do something in this game. Remember Armand Franklin as a freshman? It was very similar. And you're, you're facing bigger, longer, more athletic guys. So you feel like you don't have the time you had in high school, which is true. Um, But instead of compensating for that by making things more compact, you just rush it. And um, I think that's what it was. Uh, I really do. And then I also think to some degree, he comes, comes in known as a shooter starts rushing things and then it gets in your head that you're missing and you got to make. And I think that's the worst. If you're thinking as a shooter, you're missing. That's, I mean, whether it's the free throw line or the three point line or whatever, if you are thinking you are missing that shot, Miller cop went through that his first year at Indiana. He thought a lot because again, he came in to be the shooter started missing some and was inconsistent the whole year because he was overthinking it this year. From what I understand, he went and worked on the mental side of things coming in, and he was much more consistent and and just calm out there, and and was a huge part of that team. You know, numbers wise, he won't get a lot of credit, but he was a huge, huge part of that team. Yeah, now he's like Copfucius on Twitter, just like mm-hmm. dropping knowledge every day. His thread on the Big Ten was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Or college basketball in general. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and the last thing I'll say about CJ is to me the most important thing about his freshman season is not the percentage. Like I just I don't pay as much attention to freshman shooting percentage. Look at the attempts. Do they keep shooting? Because that's the sign of a shooter. And CJ kept shooting, which means that he continued to believe in his shot even if he was kind of struggling, you know, to make them, he still believed he should take them and the coaching staff did too. And that's why, as we've mentioned over times, Ryan, I went you know, and looked at this because it's so strange to take that many attempts and have that low of a percentage. But you know, in the last 20 years of college basketball, there's a short list of guys who have done that you know, while also playing the number of minutes that CJ did. A portion of those guys never played college basketball again for whatever reason. But of the guys who came back and played, almost all of them came back and shot 35-plus percent from three the following season because... The fact that they kept taking the shots showed that they were trusted and they were shooters. And once things slowed down and they got a bigger sample size and got comfortable, they started making them. So I'm going to be, you know, I'll be really surprised if CJ, you know, isn't shooting at least in the low 30s this season, you know, and occasionally giving you one of those, you know, Tamar Bates type games where it's like, wow, CJ had 18 against Michigan State, but hopefully a little bit more consistent, obviously, than Tamar was. But I think CJ has that kind of potential. I mean, he hit, what, nine threes in a game in high school? Yeah. I mean, he can get hot and fill it up quick, which is, you know, something Indiana's going to need. Um, and so he'll be inconsistent, you know, as a sophomore. Uh, but I think you'll see that percentage go up. And I I haven't seen anything to be concerned about his shooting yet. Now, if it doesn't come along this season, then you got to be concerned. Uh, from Ken. With this year's team, will we be – oh, will we more likely employ a deeper rotation, which will reduce player burnout – an unrelated question is, do you think that Bill Self's heart attack influenced Mbako's decision? Part two, no. I don't think yeah, it had anything don't to do with it. And from all accounts, Bill Self is fine uh, and will be fine moving forward. A heart attack isn't what it was 40 years ago. You know, um, 
health, you know, long-term prognosis wise. Um, Not just a shot doctor, an actual doctor. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I have family members who've had them and, oh, yeah. you know, um, with it, it will, I mean, we'll want this team to play deeper. We're going to ask for it as we did last year, but you know, I, you don't want guys playing 40 minutes a game. You just don't. It's a different, I know Woody says he did it, but it's a different game, man. The game is more up tempo. It's faster. It's insanely physical as well in the big 10. You don't want guys playing 40 minutes a game. If it's a tight game against Purdue in February, yeah, you get your best players, but you don't want them regularly playing more than 35 minutes. You don't. Yeah, I, I don't see it this year. I mean, last I don't year you saw it with Trace. There and, were extenuating circumstances last year. Yeah. Trace Injuries. was so good and everything was built around him. And same with Jalen. Once yeah. X he went had to. out, you can't take Jalen out of the game, really. No. I mean, so you know, I will I think- say we've seen a pattern from woodson that he does not care about uses usage i mean he just he does he really doesn't and i he played in the nba for a long time and he expects guys in college to play like they're in the nba as far as physically and that's just that's what that that's probably my biggest issue with woodson is he expects these kids to play like 30 year old nba guys because hey he's only 22 they're not as developed as NBA guys because NBA guys can spend four hours a day in the gym if they want. These guys are reduced to how much they can work out. They've got class. They got all these other things. The, the NBA guys are dedicate their whole lives to just playing basketball. And there's a reason LeBron James spends a million dollars a year on his body. You know, I mean, like you can't expect every every college player to perform like that. You know, minutes wise, and so. I, I do hear this a lot from Indiana fans who say like, well, he's only 22. He can play 40 minutes. It should be fine. Like when I was 22, I could run for an hour and a half. Yet, did you have guys hanging off of you and hitting you and then playing every position on defense and switching and, you know, all that stuff? It, it's just different. And the way Indiana plays defense, especially getting after it on that end, they don't relax. And, and so guys don't get possessions off. And, and in the NBA, you can take, whole quarters off if you want. Um, so yeah, I just think that we need to be realistic about what these kids can take physically. And you saw it the last couple of years, Indiana's guys got tired at the end of the season. And, and that's not just Mike Woods and other teams that happens to too, but you have to be realistic. You recruit all these guys, recruit guys you're willing to give minutes to. I mean, if you bring a guy in, you should be willing to give him minutes. Even if it's Caleb Banks getting six minutes to steal you some minutes, you know, at the end of in early in the second half or something. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to steal minutes say, where you can. Yeah. This is also something I'm going to be interested to see this season if this is different. And I feel like there's some reasons that it will be. You know, you don't have Trace, you know, and so I think there's a little bit more of a big man rotation where you can kind of play based on some matchups. And, you know, obviously some of these guys are foul prone as well. X is the guy who profiles to probably get as many minutes as he can handle. I would, I would say that. Um, too. Now, a lot of that depends on Gabe Cups. If Gabe Cups is ready, you know, as much as the staff I think thinks he's ready, um, you know, he may be able to ease some of that burden. But I think X is going to play as much as he can. I think you know a guy like Mbako, who can really slide theoretically from the two to the four, um, if he's ready as a freshman he's going to get a lot of minutes because you can mix and match lineups yeah. around him. Uh, and then, you know, that's the nice thing with renew and Ware and Walker and sparks. I think you are going to be able to keep those guys fresh I because I, I really do think there are going to be some Peyton sparks games where he comes in and plays 15, 20 minutes ends up as the, you know, third or fourth leading score. And is a big reason why Indiana won. And there will be other games where he'll play three minutes and it just won't be his type of game. 
you know, and same thing with Anthony Walker. I think there will be some games where just from a defensive perspective, you're going to want him out there more. Uh, you know, and then there'll be other games where, you know, Indiana just has such a, a dominant matchup down low that Renew is just able to go nuts. So I love the mixing and matching. But the other thing I feel like you have this year, Ryan, is young guys that the staff is really invested in their development. CJ Gunn, Caleb Banks, you know, and they're really, to me, now they both have the potential to take big leaps as sophomores and, you know, who knows, potentially be starters. But they're also guys who you could look at as maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth men. But if they're like the ninth or tenth guys on the bench, I still think you're going to see them getting minutes because I think the staff is invested in their development. And, you know, they're guys who really profile as important pieces down the road. And that, I think, is maybe a little bit different than what we've had in, you know, in the past. So to answer the guys, to, uh, to answer Ken's question, um, I do think we'll see it, especially early. And then I'll be really curious to see kind of what happens in big 10 play. Um, but, but I do think it'll, we'll see a little bit more of it certainly than we did last year. Uh, all right. Last question, Kyle, this question is specifically for Ryan. He says, a wealthy IU donor has passed away and is leaving $100 million to support IU athletics. You were given three options on how you want to use that money, and you can't split it up. You have to give all $100 million to one option. Which option do you choose and why? Option A, set up an endowment that will be used to fund NIL collective efforts. Option B, create a players-only dorm that will be named after the donor. Or option C, upgrade athletic facilities and rename them after the donor. So I'm taking B out right now. I don't think they need a players-only dorm. The players all, I think, live in the same development uh, to start anyway. Um, an endowment that will be used for NIL collective efforts is is a good option. Upgrading athletic facilities and renaming them after the donor are also a good is also a good option. If it's a hundred million dollars, I am going to go with the collective because I think the university should come up with the money through other means for an arena. Like a donation is great, but I think it should be a collective donation. I don't think it should be one person. The collective you can use to make your football team better as well. That would create more revenue, which could then be used to help build better facilities. Um, Because the football team, as long as it's non-competitive, which it's been for most of the last, what, 20 something years, uh, you're not going to be excelling as an athletic department and it's going to cut into any revenue chances you have. Basketball just doesn't make as much revenue as football. Um, if you're good, sponsorship opportunities will be better. The gate for football will be better, all of that stuff. And I think you can use that collective money to A, bring in players and create, uh, if you're just doing it from a basketball side, I, like I think you have to spread that around to football too. But if you're doing it from a basketball side, you bring in the best players, you then have success, which I think brings donors. And, and so I think that it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy because people will take pride in the program, love following the program, want to be involved, and they'll be involved with small donors and big donors. So I do think that getting the players is the most important thing. I do think it helps to get those players if you have better facilities, which Indiana does need to work on, but I think they could raise that money holistically through being a good having good programs. And I think that the NIL money will help with those programs. I think I agree with you. 
Yeah. Are you worried at all about the risk of NIL type rules changing? And then, well, that's that not that not you can't you them. can't factor that into this. Okay. I mean, there, because there's a okay. million permutations here, that, and surely you, know, you could just because then, then you could be like, well, would an arena would an arena yeah. cost more than a hundred million? So why would yeah, you do yeah, okay. it? You know, I mean, there's there's permutations <laughs> there, but I would say the NIL is is because if you if you make the teams better and you make the programs better, the money's going to come. I feel like that is certainly true. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. Good answer. Any final thoughts, Ryan, before we close up shop for the evening? Welcome back, Calvert. That's right. That is right. Welcome back, Calvert. Man, such an exciting week. All right. Uh, that is going to have to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of RigDesign.com for designing our logos. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU basketball again with you next Thursday. Until then. Take it from me, Thomas Bryant. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Indiana basketball is the shit. Yep. Guess I'm not the only one who swore this week. Tom's Bryant still playing. <laughs> well, Vic, hey, the Heat win. Vic will get a ring. Yeah. Well, are, are they going to, are the Celtics going to do this? No. Okay. I, th- I think the Heat win game six pretty handily, too. Even if Vincent, Vincent's out, too. They don't have, yeah. They got I, th- I, think, I think Jimmy Butler goes robo mode and destroys them. And by the way, if the Heat make the finals, they're the only team left that can beat the, the Nuggets. They match up very well with the Nuggets. Hmm. Um, I think Jimmy I think Butler. No one's beating the Nuggets. I, I, Unless you have OG there to try and slow down Jamal Murray. I mean, well, I think that that's what Jimmy's going to do, and Jimmy's just going to muscle him around. It's going to be all on Jokic. And Jokic can win games by himself at this point, too, but it's going to be on their role players, I think. Like Porter's going to have to hit a bunch of threes, whatever. At Miami just. They just have the mentality to beat them, too, and Butler on Murray is the. You know, Jamal Murray is not is not going to play better than than Jimmy Butler. It's it's all on you. And the question, I mean, Adebayo it can't beat Jokic. Nobody can beat Jokic. You can't guard. The only way to beat Jokic is a two by four to the knee. Jokic That's the only way you're beating Jokic. Man. Yeah, yes, he he's one of. The, I mean, unbelievable. This stretch he's had is, and I know we, you, we it's there's too much hyperbole in sports, but the last like four years is one of the greatest stretches in NBA history statistically. Yes. I mean, it's, it's not even it, arguable. It's not even arguable. Amazing. But he plays in Denver, so nobody talks about him. I mean, the basketball people talk about him, but like the general public doesn't know him. Like he's doing better in some of Michael Jordan's years, like best years. Different, different game statistically, totally, and it's hard to compare yes. them. But I mean, like we don't, and and he's not like a topic of conversation. You know, people are talking more about whether LeBron will retire. Well, he doesn't want to be. Before. See, LeBron wants to be. I know so he, he threw that out there, and well, Jokic is perfectly of, fine. Like just. Flying under the radar. And I'll, and I'll say that he is. And, and I'll say this about LeBron. When he's in the news a lot, people go like, God, I'm sick of LeBron. He didn't ask for that from the beginning. He was a very good player, and that was thrust upon him very early in high school. And he just accepted it and has continued to be the face of the league. And, and just absolutely knows how to leverage and maximize it. I mean, he he's does. the most media savvy athlete. I mean, he's had some missteps, but... And he was media savvy as yes. a 20-year-old. Like. Yes. 
And I'll say this about LeBron. Somebody posted this, like people hate LeBron. You know, there's, there is a faction of people who hate LeBron because they hate people who are just in the news forever. It's the Tom Brady, uh, you know, like Peyton Manning thing. It's just when you're that good for that long, people just hate you because you're good. And, and it's true. But LeBron has been a model citizen since the beginning and has never had a misstep. And the people who hate him, I get hating him from a basketball perspective, but you cannot hate the person. You really cannot hate. I don't even get hating him from a basketball perspective. I get well, being annoyed by him. annoyed is is, yes. is a better word. But I mean, you know, rooting against him, disliking him. But if you root against the person, LeBron, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, he you has know, the, been the, as model citizen as you could possibly ask for. He has. And I find myself relating with him a lot now as a dad, yep. not because, you know, my son's going to play in the NBA, but just hearing him answer, like he had this great answer, you know, they were asking him about that, you know, if he's still going to do that. And he's like, yeah, that's my goal. He's like, well, I don't know if it's Bronny's, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. and you know, my, I just want, you know, I want to support my kids and do what they want to do. Um, you know, and so it's just, you know, you, well, I mean, the fact I, that, like, I, I like seeing that other side of him and I actually think it's a great thing that he's so out front, like being a dad and how and he's important open about a lot of stuff. So, I think it's a great guys, example. He's not one of these guys who hides, you know, his feelings a lot and everything. He's media savvy. You're right. But he'll, if he's pissed off, he'll say it, you know, and, and he'll express frustration and he'll talk about his family, about being a dad. He even said like behind the scenes, I don't know if he ever said this publicly, but Going back to Cleveland, he said, was for me that I wanted to go back there and prove something because I left those people. He he said, and, and the reason he went to Miami, he said, was to win championships, obviously. But he also said, like, I never went to college. I never got away. out. And he said, that was me going to college, you know, and getting my few years away from and seeing something different and being with different people. And when he went back to Cleveland, he could have stayed in Miami forever. They would have had him. Or he could have gone to LA or, New, or the Knicks or whatever. He wanted to go back to Cleveland. He, he said, that was for me. Going to LA was for my family because they had a house out there and they all loved it out there. And that was where he they stayed a lot of time. And they went there. His kids wanted to go to school there. They wanted to live out there. And so they went to LA. Now, it worked out for him in a basketball sense, too, because they won a championship and, and all of that stuff. But the fact that he's open about that kind of is like, you know, I did my thing. Now it's time for me to do what they want to do. He could have gone back to Miami. He uh, from Cleveland. He could. I don't. I don't think he could have left Cleveland for Miami again. Actually, <laughs> but I mean, anywhere that would have been he, ridiculous. He was happiest, and and I think that that's you know admirable. Yeah, it's for the Lakers. I mean, you know, a, a a pretty amazing franchise to play for. But if you look at LeBron, he's not the greatest Laker of all time. You know, he took that on to go play for a franchise where he's not going to finish as being the greatest Laker. He's the greatest Cleveland Cavalier of all time. You can make an argument that while he was there, he was the greatest player to ever play for the heat. I think Dwayne Wade gets the title now because he was there forever, but he went somewhere knowing I'm probably going to be like fifth on the list of greatest like Lakers as far as your career goes all time. And he, he's fine with it. You know, I mean, he's, he was overshadowed by Kobe when Kobe was retired and LeBron was playing. And that's why Kobe didn't go to games because he mm-hmm. LeBron are close and he didn't want to overshadow him. He went to a handful of games, but he would stay away. And, and yeah, so I, I, I do think LeBron is, if he retires, he retires is in my opinion, he's not the greatest player of all time, but he has had the greatest career of all time. And I don't think it's really an argument. Yes. And he lived up to, 
He yeah. lived up to every. He lived up to and far surpassed every single expectation. That context is a big part of when why he was 16 years old. You know, he's not a guy who came out of nowhere and became a superstar. People he heaped yeah. a lot of things on him, and he lived up to and surpassed every single mark they set for him. Yeah, I think maybe we should do this as a show sometime. I think the best player ever is Michael Jordan. If I have one game to win, I want Michael Jordan on my team. The best NBA career of all time is LeBron, and the best basketball career of all time is Lou Alcindor. Kareem Alcindor. And, yeah, I, I would agree with all three of those. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if I had a game to win, now my oh, answer yeah. to win is still Jordan. No, my answer yeah, now is still Jordan, but all time, if I had a game to win and I needed a performance, Lou, yes. uh, Abdul, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar might get that. I mean, it's or Bill Russell. It would be a consideration. Yeah, Bill uh, Russell would be the other guy, but I would. Take, yeah, I mean, it would depend on like the context of the game. Of There's course, yeah. So I mean, account. it's hard to do. But if you're just but talking, if you're if you're saying yeah. a basketball game, I don't know anything else. But if you're saying in their era, Jordan. it's probably it's probably Jordan. Yeah. Um. But people, you know, it's it's always funny when people say like, "Oh, Jordan wouldn't have lost this playoff series." Jordan lost a couple playoff series. Before the Bulls went on their run. Yeah, I mean, but once he, had he flaws reached in his that career, point, he learned from them. Yeah, yes. no, he learned from them and got better. But the point is, it wasn't, they didn't lose those series because of Jordan. It's about the guys around you, too. And for six seasons, he had the best team in the NBA, maybe bar one or one season in there. The Bulls were the best team in the NBA every year. LeBron's Cleveland Cavaliers team that he took to a title was probably not even top seven. Without him, like without him, they missed the playoffs. Well, sure. Without Jordan, those Bulls teams are contending for the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, I do think that context is important when you talk. Yeah, he's six and zero in finals, and he has those six rings. And we all know he's the greatest basketball player, uh, you know, uh, of all time. Um, Bob, Knight but I think said con- that in 1984, before he didn't yeah, play, and he was NBA. right, <laughs> and he was right. Um, and people thought he was crazy, and he was right. Um, they, they thought he was crazy for other reasons as well, but, um, but no, I, I do think that, that you have to look at context and Jordan and, and also, by the way, some of those teams were so loaded because Jordan was there and people wanted to play with him. I mean that, you know, it was, and the roster management was great on top of that and all that. And a lot of those guys were great and then went off and went somewhere else and played pretty well. Um, Steve Kerr would be a great example of that. Um, but yeah, I do think that's, that's worth examining context the lakers were probably the the year lebron won with the lakers they were probably for much of the season probably the fourth best team you know injuries happened and things like that they picked up some good pickups and and then they they kind of were but i mean it's it's worth examining that context when when lebron was with the heat they should have won those 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 titles i mean they they absolutely there's no excuse for them not winning those titles but i would say the same about jordan except for maybe one year with with the bulls they should have won all those titles and and so it's it is interesting to put it in that context now give guys time though a lot of guys don't win till they're you know mid to late 20s and then you you need time for scotty to come around oh no no i'm what i'm saying is the years the years they won just the years they won oh yeah the years they won yes that's so they did and you always believed they were going to win because you couldn't fathom i mean like not like there there have been two athletes i guess and you know i'm not old enough for ali and some of these other guys Uh, Gosh, maybe three, but there's been two athletes where you just believed with every, you know, fiber in your being that they would win, and that's Tiger and Michael. Oh, I got one more. Tom Brady kind of got in there to a certain extent, but not at the level of those guys. Got another one, Michael Phelps. 
Oh yeah. Oh well, yes. If you start getting into other sports, yeah, then yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's the, that, that level though. It's those three guys. You're right. Yeah. It's those three guys. You never expected them to lose, and when they did, even if it wasn't their best event or it was, you know, you're shocked. Absolutely shocked. Yep. And um, but yeah, I mean, those those are the guys. I mean, who else? You're right. Tom Brady, I think that mystique went away a little bit as he got older. And part of it was because his team sucked. I mean, the, the right. teams around him in New England were not great for a long time. Yeah. They, but if you put him defense. in a but if you put him in a playoff situation down, you you're I never bet against banking him. on him. Would never bet against him. Even at the end, I would never bet against him. See, and you know, and it's funny because like Aaron Rodgers is clearly a more talented football player than Tom Brady. And yet you don't get that sense with Aaron Rodgers. Like when he get, you know, when he got in some of those tough games, he would, you know, kind of fall flat and he's an amazing player. I mean, it's just, it's incredible when an athlete reaches that level, you know, and obviously there's only been a few of them who have ever done it. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening to uh, sports talk uh, yeah. here on the assembly call. Always fun to do. Uh, all right, Ryan. Oh, last question for you. NBA finals heat. Nuggets, if the Heat, you know, don't blow this against the Celtics and make Bill Simmons forever unlistenable. Uh, Cody Zeller goes up against Thomas Bryant. Who you got? One-on-one matchup Uh, in the post. One-on-one matchup in the post. Ooh. I think Cody Savvy would would edge him slightly, I'll say. You think so? Yeah, give him him a little of that veteran savvy, that old guy energy. Uh, <laughs> he, he does. Gosh, that makes me feel old. Cody Zeller. They ran some ISOs energy. for Cody that were fantastic in the last series. <laughs> I was loving it. Uh, oh, yeah. Tough. Simone Biles. Yeah, That's Simone Biles one. is one. I mean, Katie Ledecky. You, you could get into the weeds. I'm talking about the three biggest that 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 were, you know, for multiple years and for, I mean, Michael Phelps yes. was dominant for what, 15, 10 years? Four Olympics, right? Didn't he yeah. do four Olympics? Four. I think he, God. yeah, he did four. And he was dominant at three of them. Um, so, no, he did five Olympics because he had Maybe one he event. Five. He had one event in Sydney. And then he dominated Athens, dominated Beijing, obviously. had He dominated London, but it was a disappointment because he didn't do as well. And then Rio, he, he dominated. <laughs> um, you know you've reached a level when... When you like you get win. five gold medals <laughs> yeah, and it's it wasn't like, good eh, <laughs> eh. Yeah. Um, uh, guys. All right. Ryan... Thanks for being here, man. Always good talking to you. And uh, we will see you all soon. Take care, everybody. Later, guys.